When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome in to Brewcast for Maze of Brew on the Expedition Podcast Network. I am already joined by Austin Toski here with you on Monday, October 11th, going into Tuesday, October 12th. I uh, don't have exactly it down pat using the, the new thing as Anthony did. We'll maybe get a countdown next week, but uh, we got a lot of fun for you here tonight. Appreciate you being live with us on the Mesa Brew YouTube page, and well, we've got a lot to get to here with a crazy game Saturday night. Stephen, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. It was a uh, heck of a heck of a game. Um, I hate night games. Hate night games. Yeah. It's just I'm I'm sitting there all day trying to enjoy football and just like I'm picturing Michigan in every like losing scenario, and it's just like oh, it's just a nightmare, man. It just gets me. Gets the the juices flowing, and I, I had to get up from my couch and go on a run uh, in the middle of the Penn State game. I was just getting too anxious. So if that gives you any sense of who I am on a football Saturday, I'm not a fun guy. Not a fun guy to be around. But uh, but no, man, I I'm, couldn't be more happy for a bye week. Comes at a perfect time, I think, for uh, recruiting efforts. You can do a lot with a 6-0 record. Um, think it's a, a good break for the team with back-to-back road games. Probably a little weary from that. Um, got the Nebraska or Nebraska Northwestern game coming up after the the bye week, so that should be a, a nice entrance back. Um, Lewis Blake asking how many T-shirts. I think it was three or four. I did take a shower after my run, so it's hard to say exactly how many shirts, but uh, but we'll see. But no, man, it was it was a good day. Good football Saturday, just probably one of the better days of college football that I can remember. It was uh, phenomenal from the noon slate with the uh, uh, Oklahoma-Texas game was wild, and then Penn State-Iowa was pretty crazy, and then uh, the nightcapper of Michigan and then Bama going down. It's like take those four games, stack it up against any other four games in succession, and uh, you'd have a hard time finding a better day as a Michigan fan. Yeah, no, it truly was an incredible uh, college football Saturday, man. It it does not get much better than what we got, especially, like you said, Oklahoma, Texas, man, kind of just started it off and just how how crazy it was. And uh, just going back to, you know, what Michigan faced on Saturday night, and it was the first time this year that they've really faced any adversity, you know, for the most part. Yeah, first time trailing, I obviously – You know, it was uh, the beginning of the Wisconsin game was, you know, kind of a feeling out process. But other than that, man, it it wasn't they haven't really played in a game like that yet this year. And not only to face it once, but to face adversity being down twice and to answer really the entire time, man, I I, I came away impressed. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I mean, you learn a lot about a team when they're behind in a hostile road environment. And there's not a whole lot that get more hostile in the Big Ten than at Nebraska. I mean, it's probably it's it's got to be top five venues for um, in terms of crowd energy 
um, kind of places you don't want to be behind late in the fourth quarter on the night game. Um, and I think the poise was what stands out the most. I see Antoine Johnson with a lot of uh, comments about Cade's play overall, but um, I mean, the play wasn't perfect. There were mistakes made and um, I tweeted about it. The thing that stood out the most is against Wisconsin, the jump around Michigan was pretty comfortable in that game. Felt like mm-hmm. Michigan had it pretty in hand at that point. Game was not in hand in third quarter, a third quarter that Nebraska uh, had pretty handily um, taken control of the momentum and um, Michigan was, you know, not really doing all that well, especially in that quarter. So for Michigan to continue to um, kind of go with that strategy of doing like the light show they participated, had this like weird little dance battle uh, <laughs> to Nebraska's <laughs> sideline to participate in that, I think shows a lot of how loose the team's the team plays overall and it'd be really easy. And I think a lot of people would understand if they weren't all that jacked up, right. A little tense in that moment um, in a hostile environment. So um, it it speaks a lot to using that energy and using it as fuel rather than being intimidated by it. And um, I think Cade McNamara kind of spoke to it at the end of the game where it's a game that Michigan loses more often than not in the past. I think we were all kind of expecting it where it's just like, all right, don't, be losing in the fourth quarter or else the game is done. And Michigan had to come back from that multiple times and answer with some clutch touchdowns. So yeah, it wasn't a perfect game. I think, think there's a lot of things we can point to and say like, yeah, there's lots of improvements there, but I was the further on it went on where Michigan didn't have a turnover all season. Like Kate McNamara hasn't thrown a pick in his career at Michigan. The further season went where it's like Michigan hasn't been behind it was just like in my head, I'm just like, oh, man, it's going to be against Michigan State. It's going to be against Ohio State, <laughs> and the team's going to crumble. And I was it, – it's kind of been the season of what will happen when Michigan does X. Early on, it was what will happen when Michigan needs to throw the ball. What will happen when Michigan plays an away game? What will happen when Michigan does turn the ball over? And finally, what – what happens when Michigan's playing from behind, right? So it's a continued season of what will happen when Michigan does something and they're proving that they can do it. So it's, it's again, nothing's going to be perfect even, but I mean, nothing's going to be perfect except for Michigan's record right now. So yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. So you can complain about a lot, but at the end of the day, you're winning games. So people finding things to complain about are, you're now finding things to complain about that takes Michigan from like a, eight, nine, 10 win team to potential championship level team. And that's not a spot. I think we, I don't think anyone expected that. If you expected that for this season, um, I would like your time machine because otherwise you're a crazy person. Uh, I want to show this comment from Antoine Johnson here. The only difference between Cade and Shea Patterson doesn't turn the ball over. I, I got to say, I think that's a pretty big thing um, for a back position. I, I feel, you know, we, we can't just pass over that fact. Yeah. I would uh, I say not turning the ball over is a pretty big part of playing the quarterback position and being successful at it. And obviously, you know, he had the one interception, first one at Michigan, like you said, Stephen, and uh, he, he really bounced back. And they didn't – I guess I was, I was pretty um, – relieved I guess would be the word to to see that they weren't scared to go right back to the air with him like they they weren't scared that it was that it shook his confidence and that he wouldn't be able to go out there and and play the position and make the plays that he needed to play 
they had a pretty good drive after going down there uh, to go down and you really had a good rest of the game. So, hey, Kate McNamara on the road, hostile environment. He showed, I think, in this game why they decided, you know, to go with him because uh, he does have the poise of a guy that can win you a lot of football games. Obviously, we know that we, we keep saying it. The the ceiling is not the same as, as J.J. McCarthy, but the floor with Cade McNamara is so much higher for this offense and what they want to do. Yeah, and it, it's something where I, there's some there's some valid points where if, if Cade McNamara hits a couple of the deep balls that he had in this game, it's not mm-hmm. as close of a game. That's true. It's true. But it's something where he has shown the ability, especially on the deep ball, to be pretty accurate. There's been, if there's inaccuracies, there's like some slant routes, I think, that have been a little bit off. I think um, for the most part, he's shown pretty tremendous touch on deep balls overall, um, at the very least, giving his receivers a chance. Overthrowing the ball has not been something we've seen from Cade McNamara on the deep ball this year. Of course, this game, we saw a couple. There's one day Baldwin mm-hmm. got some separation on. Sainer still needed a, uh, a circus catch to haul that one in. Otherwise, it was a clear touchdown. There were probably one or two more I'm forgetting. So that's for sure a, a, an aspect. But go through the entire college football landscape this year especially, there's not a whole lot of guys who are doing that consistently this year. It's a weaker class, of course, but – you're, you're talking about if a guy's making every pass, then that's an NFL-level quarterback right now because he's minimizing mistakes. I'll take the brain and the good decision-making of Cade McNamara for an occasional misthrow rather than a, a more risky option. And that's honestly exactly what Michigan is doing. They have someone with Cade, with Cade McNamara that is a, an extremely safe, confident quarterback, as Emily Stout in the chat says. He, he has the confidence. He has the poise to lead an offense and be a game manager. And that's not, you know, that's not anything to, um, to really squint at. That, that is something that can get you really, really far in this conference with um, a, a solid running game as well. Um, I was impressed with a couple of dump offs he had to Eric all uh, on third and longs. So he mm-hmm. made a bunch of really good decisions. And there was a tweet um, from at Jimbo Pete six on Twitter he said, I thought he played well with his brain and was just a touch off with his arm. Put the team in position to win by moving the chains, even if he missed on the big plays. And that's exactly, I think, the right way to look at this performance. He left a lot on the table, for sure. But when it mattered in the fourth quarter, when you were down multiple times, uh, down a score, he led the team to victory. And and ultimately, the record is what matters at the end of the day um, and not, you know, uh, not anything else. That's what matters. It's the record. So, so I get it. I get it. But um, you go with the the guy who has confidence, who can lead you back in those scenarios um, until that true freshman five-star is ready to play. And nor you or I know when that's going to be. It's going to happen. But you ride this guy who has your team at 6-0 and at this point um, until you're put in a, you know, a position where you feel like you need – to take that risk that uh, that McCarthy brings. Yeah, and I also want to touch here uh, on the other side of the football because obviously, you know, we're going to talk about Cade McNamara every week, it feels like, because J.J.'s waiting in the wings, everyone, you know. It's just – it's going to be something that we talk about. I want to give some love, though, 
uh, to Brad Hawkins because that man probably had the the best game he's had, you know, at Michigan. Not only obviously the fumble and fumble recovery, but he was the one who made the stop on the fourth down uh, on the first goal line stand of the game as well, man. He he was fantastic in this game. And obviously, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of great things to say about him, you know, after last week at the end of the first half against Wisconsin. But we, we got to give that man his roses here this week. Yeah, I mean, he's been around for a long time, uh, being a veteran player. Um, it's always a thing with a safety where if you don't hear their name, they're generally doing their job because um, them doing their job results in the quarterback not wanting to throw to that side of the field. Um, if the defensive line or linebackers are playing well, that makes the job of safeties a little bit easier. Um, so Brad Hawkins really hasn't, you know, been – <laughs> Anthony <laughs> uh, Brad Hawkins name hasn't come up a whole lot and um, you know much like the veteran Anthony Broom um, usually the name doesn't get brought up a whole lot because he's doing a good job and um, but he I mean he's the difference maker right you could point to Dax Hill with the interception um, but like you said that fourth down that that decision to go for it by the goal line for Nebraska came back to haunt them, right? They lose by three. They gave up those mm -hmm. three points to try to score an early touchdown. Um, and then, yeah, the, the strip, right? I mean, uh, you'll see about 500 Nebraska fans complaining about it on Twitter, but uh, it, it's his momentum was still going. You play until you hear yep. the whistle. And that's the thing. When a guy is wrapped up, um, you, you strip that ball and you know what power or, Power to the refs there who had a really rough game themselves. <laughs> but, hey, it, it, that's a veteran move because not a whole lot – I mean, not even Aiden Hutchinson at that point was really going for the ball at that point. He was just trying to get um, trying to get Martinez down. And uh, that changed the game. That won the game for them. And this yeah, is – 100%. And this is uh, a couple – you know, it, it's nice to see this defense win, uh, win a game for him because I think the defense was – something going into this year I thought would have to be carried by the offense. And this was one where defense was struggling late in this game. And uh, again, talking just about like the men mental makeup of this program right now um, to be able to weather that storm. Um, Nebraska, I think is an above average offense to be able to say like, yeah, we're getting like, we're getting cooked here <laughs> a little bit <laughs> and to make a play there. Uh, that I mean, that's huge. And um uh, I'm just happy for Hawkins that he's been around the program this much. And he, you know, he got co-defensive player of the week in the, in the conference. So, so yeah, man, I, I can't speak enough about what he did uh, on that game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price. Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Anthony, by the way, while you're in here, man, uh, if you could teach me how to use StreamYard a little more effectively, that would be fantastic. We kind of just went live here tonight, didn't have the countdown like you had all set up. I ain't got it like you right now. But uh, to your point here, Stephen, uh, about kind of the mental makeup of this program right now, like that was a game, right, in years past where a lot of things were not going Michigan's way. And, I mean, if you think about it, obviously the, the play to Sandra still – uh, they don't get in. Cade's knee uh, hitting the ground on the touchdown. I mean, there was just a lot, you know, that that went against Michigan. Obviously, the, the interception, 
the the touchdown that they did not call uh, illegal formation with five men in the backfield. Like there were so many things in years past that Michigan, if they lose that game, were like pointing at all these things, right? Because everything went against them. It like 2016 Iowa. It's like oh, it's just one of those things. Weird things happen at, at Kinnick at night, sort of thing. But this was they didn't get down on themselves. You know, and they would have probably in the last couple of years where, where the mental makeup was not there to battle back in those situations. And I love to see that. And like you said, the defense stepping up, particularly in the fourth quarter after a horrendous third quarter, like it was just one quarter for Nebraska where they put up 22 points. And other than that, you know, the defense paid, played pretty stout. But for for them to go through that stretch and to buckle up when they needed it most, because even on that last drive when Nebraska only needed a field goal to tie, first down, I, they got like 22, 24 yards, I think, right up to midfield immediately yeah. and did not get anything after that. So, And I watched a breakdown on Twitter. I'm not sure exactly who it was on that final play. I didn't realize it. It was pretty much cover zero on that fourth and ten. Like, that could have been the end of the game if one guy gets beat, but the pass rush gets to Martinez. Dax is in perfect coverage. It was just, hey, man, when the chips were on the table, this team just completely stepped up, which was amazing to see. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where it was such a disjointed game where, I mean, there was that stretch. I think it was still in the second quarter at this point, but it was when, um, like, Haskins – went outstretched towards the goal line. It was called touchdown, got called back. I think before that was the pass interference call that set him up there. And then they uh, called the touchdown on Haskins diving in, but then the knee was down. There was something like five plays in a row where I had yeah. to stare at this ref just making the call. And it was like, wow, I know everything there is to know about this ref, his family, his dreams. Like, it's like <laughs> this guy's just going on a speech here. He's got a whole commencement here. And um, there's so many there's so many ways, I think, on both teams where you can just like go to the side and just be like, this is BS. This is crazy. What's happening in this game? And when I think when you start to uh, have that mentality, you're less you're going to be like less focused overall, because then you're thinking like oh, this whole game is against us and we're at, a, at an away game and things like this. And there's a lot of things that went against Nebraska, to be fair, and some questionable things as well. But when you get in that mindset, it's got to be harder to be like, okay, we got to make a play and have that be the focus, right? It's it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to get distracted um, because of just, it takes away the flow of the game when you're constantly stopping, when you have to burn a timeout because the spot is three yards off. It's just like weird. It's just weirdness that takes away from the flow of the game. And I think that's more impactful on the offense to kind of find your rhythm when you're constantly dealing with all of that and trying to kind of feel yourself there so it's it's just really like a, an odd game to work through with all of that in a hostile environment it's just not easy so um shout out to Jimin green as well in that third down play that's one where i'm for sure going to be breaking that one down in the analysis it was like third and 10 on a screenplay and it kind of reminded me of last week as well I guess Wisconsin, where there was a big screenplay, looked like there was a lot of ground in front of uh, the Wisconsin player, and DJ Turner made a huge play to come up and tackle that and keep it to uh, a field goal. And this was kind of the same thing late in the game. Jimon Green came flying up on that third and 10, forced the fourth and 10 that then uh, Dax Hill was, as you mentioned, coverage zero, just good coverage on that last play. So you can point to like a lot of different 
players that are stepping up that, you know, I feel like I haven't mentioned Jimmy Green all year and he, you know, found a way to make a play there. So it's, it's nice to be able to speak to different players. Um, I think defensive line, I put out a tweet about this overall did an extremely good job, uh, especially interior. We haven't talked about like Chris Hinton, Mozzie Smith, Morris, I feel like at all this year, I haven't heard their names come up at all. And um, this is like second game in a row where they're really like, there was nothing, really nothing going until late, late in the game um, in, in terms of running up the middle for Nebraska. It was all misdirection, right? They had to pick on the linebackers a little bit there, but defensive line is making things a lot easier on all, all other aspects of the game. And that goes just beyond the edge players. So I think it's, um, it's a defense. I predicted it coming into the year was going to be ranked around 30th nationally. I think it's a top 20 defense right now with how they're playing. Now there are still offenses to deal with like Michigan state. It's looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Penn state questionable it depends on whether Clifford is, is, alive or not. And then um, Ohio state's going to do what they're going to do. But, but even so um, it's still refreshing to not, you know, to be able to keep, keep things contained here. And I think Nebraska was uh, by far the most dynamic offense and one that um, I don't know besides Michigan state on the schedule, if there's one quite as dynamic as them um martinez is a weapon and overall he was yeah. relatively kept in check and nebraska had to do some really interesting uh play designs and kind of open up the playbook quite a bit in order to to find some success so i think it's i think for the defense um i was enthused that michigan wasn't getting gashed they were getting more caught i felt like they were getting more um mixed up by the misdirection there's things to clean up in terms of assignments there especially linebackers but um, feel like Michigan got tricked rather than like trounced, and that's always a better. <laughs> if you're if you're gonna get you know if you're gonna get got, at least get right. tricked and not not paved. So exactly, that's that's the thing too, right? Is you go look at those plays that Nebraska scored on in the second half, and it was, I mean, what bringing the bringing the fullback slash tight end, you know, in motion to one side and then sending them over on kind of a swing screen to the other side and. Just, just little things. Like you said, there there were times where Michigan was in kind of position to make a play, but Adrian Martinez kind of just better. There was one in particular. It was a first down run. I thought he was going to get sacked, and and then there was uh, Josh Ross. Remember, he came up. I thought Ross was in perfect position. Martinez bounced it out. Uh, one of the guys came in a little too far, got sucked in, got blocked by a wide receiver, turns it into a first down, whereas there's not a lot of guys that Michigan's going to play that can do that at the end of the day. Adrian Martinez, like – those guys are good too. You know, like yeah. those guys are scholarship players too. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. uh, but to your point about the interior D linemen, like when we were talking about this team coming into the season, that's they are the reason that I was a little higher than most uh, about this team was because, you know, Chris Hinton's a five star. Mozzie Smith, he, or he was a high four star coming in. The third year is when we see those interior linemen really start to take that leap. They've been through the program, the weight room. They're learning the defense a a little bit better. Um, And and they've completely stepped up in the perfect complement to guys like Aiden uh, Hutchinson and David Ajabo. So uh, that front four is is a menace for a lot of teams here. Uh, I do want to ask you about a guy you were very high on coming, and he's starting to get a lot of reps as a true freshman, and that's Junior Colson, man. You you were very high on him coming in. How how do you feel that he's played uh, so far in the reps that he's getting? Yeah, it, it was main. He was mainly on my. I think I did like a top top five list of 
instant impact freshman. So he was definitely on that list because um, there's just a lack of, of linebacker depth overall on the depth chart. So <laughs> the M turf just crapping on your internet, man. I'm sorry. Uh, they, no, they suck. My you, spectrum is trash. You can crash. <laughs> they're not going to be a sponsor on the stream. Yeah. I don't think anytime <laughs> soon. Um, Cause it's just not good business for them to advertise that either. But no, I think, I think junior Colson was really important in this game just because Nikai Hill green um, he's a really good linebacker overall. You need good athletes at the second level to compete with Nebraska's offense compared to like Wisconsin. I think Nikai Hill green was a great option there mm-hmm. um, just with the the size and just the style of offense overall. So junior Colson brought a level of athleticism that I think you just need in certain packages um, and getting him as a early enrollee. Um, he, he played a pretty solid senior season. I just saw, really solid instincts on his high school film. And that was just, you know, it, I think it was just a good situation for him to be walking into, but it's rare for true freshman linebackers to be competent because it's mm-hmm. kind of similar with safeties where uh, you make a mistake and it's going to be like, it, it's going to be pretty apparent. Exposed, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think teams are focusing on that and smartly so, because there's only so much you can learn in practice and game reps, you're going to learn a lot more what you learn from your own film in those previous games. There's a lot. And that's the best way that a lot of people can learn. So I think he definitely um, probably won't grade out that well this week with how Nebraska kind of focused on that. And I expect teams to continue to do that. But, but I mean, man, having him around for, you know, at least uh, two additional years beyond 2021, it's going to provide dividends for that position overall. And, um, his athleticism can't be n- denied. So it's it's something that um, I think the D-line has helped a lot. Um, and as you were mentioning, like the 2017 and 2018 classes, uh, look go back and look at like what interior defensive linemen are around from those classes. And it's, it's Jeter. And that was literally, I think, the only interior defensive lineman from those two classes that made any sort of impact. So... I understand that like the past couple of years has been tough for Michigan's interior defensive line. They didn't have bodies and it, it is the position where it takes the most time to develop. So in terms of like, why was Don Brown let go and why is this team kind of exceeding expectations? It's time. You you had to give those guys, Mozzie Smith, um, Chris Hinton, that time to actually just become who they're going to be on the defensive line. And and Michigan had to use those guys who weren't quite ready to kind of fill that gap in the previous recruiting classes with transfers and guys not panning out, things of that nature. So, so yeah, um, I don't know. One thing I do want to mention about kind of Kate McNamara, because I know it's just going to be a thing that people keep bringing up. Um, He does, he just doesn't have the wide receivers right now to really help him out all that much. Um, I saw some talk earlier asking about like Roman Wilson. He's probably going to be fine, right? No news about like a, a anything bre- breaking or anything. I, like I'm guessing that. that they kept him out specifically because they have the bye week coming up. You know, I haven't I haven't heard like it's a broken wrist or season ending or anything like that. It's probably yeah. just bothering him, maybe a sprain or something. Give him that game. Give him the extra bye week. Heck, if he doesn't play against Northwestern, it's probably not going to matter. But as long as he's there October 30th, you know, that's what's important. Right. So, yeah, you subtract a Ronnie Bell as well as an emerging Roman Wilson. And it's just like, yeah, like I I get it. I get why sometimes 
excuse me, the offense can like have a drop here and there or not want to throw a deep ball. I think, I think Dalen Baldwin is emerging, but he has to track the ball better in the air. He's not helping K McNamara a whole lot on some of these deeper shots. Um, he needs some stronger hands too, man. That too. His yeah, hands they, are just not defendable. Yeah. That was a decent ball that was delivered back to the end zone would have been seven if he turns the other way. So there's some, just some small things there where it's also like, why hasn't AJ Henning played? And there's been some like probable miscommunications on film that I saw the past couple of weeks where maybe doesn't have, you know, the best route trees or understanding the offense to be utilized in that way. So you're really kind of, um, I think people are underselling uh, this year that that may be one of the weaker positions um, on the team right now, just in terms of helping the quarterback out. And when you have a, a running game, it was, it was actually really funny. I saw, a lot of tweets where people are clamoring to run the ball more like they're like there was <laughs> and, and like I totally get it right if you throw three straight times when the run game is working and then you have to punt three and out just three missed throws then it's like yeah run the ball but it was so funny because we were on this podcast talking about how Michigan needs to throw the ball because what will happen when they need to throw the ball and then when it comes to this game and it's like Michigan needs to run the ball. Well, guess what? They ran the ball early in the season pretty damn well. And when you need to yeah. turn to it, they knew how to do it. So maybe it was pretty good that they spent a lot of time early in the season doing that. So it's just funny how things kind of ebb and flow. And, um, you know, now that injuries, you know, are, are kind of stacking up. And I think you're right about the Roman Wilson situation. Um, there's, you know, it, it's time to lean on the run a little bit more after you've established the pass a little bit the past couple of weeks. So, so yeah, and man, man that, that run game looked pretty damn good, uh, yeah. particularly late. Like that was that was the thing too, right? Is like, you know, Michigan's down, they need to go down and score. And they leaned on the run game, even though it was it was late in the, you know, late in the game. Like that was the ultimate confidence. The the offensive line absolutely ate uh when they needed him to. Obviously. Uh, the Corum touchdown run was nice. Uh, I went and watched again. Uh, I've I've watched the Haskins play probably you know thirty times by now. He got twenty five extra yards out of that run because he leaped that dude and never broke stride. That was one of the most ridiculously athletic feats I think I've ever seen. And Haskins, it's not like Haskins is like you know the the super you know uh, or he doesn't look you know super light on his feet like he's not one hundred eight pounds. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a that's a well built guy right there that just leaped like that showed some real athleticism yeah I mean it, it, he's 6'1 225 and usually when you see a guy hurdle someone it's a case where it's like all right that's cool and then gets tackled and you're like oh that was, that was a cool hurdle he picked up an extra three yards and that was like the most efficient hurdle I think I've ever seen where you, yeah. you mentioned it you like picked up 25 extra yards it's like that was the best way to pick up an extra 25 yards. If he doesn't do that, he doesn't get even near that. So yeah, it's phenomenal. And and I, I'm going to plug my Twitter again at Steven Toski, but I tweeted out like, remember earlier in the season when like Charbonnet had like a three touchdown game and people were like losing their minds over that. I, how, how can you even look at this current running back situation and think anything differently? Um, and I know like, you can't really compare like transit property doesn't really work, but Michigan's running backs had by far the best day against Nebraska than any other running back. Um, oh, for sure. In this season. So to have two guys, Corum had 89 yards on 13 carries, really efficient day over 120 yards for Haskins with a pair of touchdowns. It's, 
it's pretty insane um, that those guys have that capability. And and they're, I think, are fair arguments that they should have received the ball more. So that's something where, um, again, you can you can lean back to that and um, and be pretty confident they're going to produce. So. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, it's a great combo. I like to see them using Corum kind of on, um, exposing the edges a little bit more. I think they, they turned to that, uh, quite a bit this game. Um, and it's impressive. Blake Corum outran a pretty good defensive end for Nebraska to get to the edge and then still had enough speed to make a cutback to get that, uh, 29 yard touchdown in a key time of the game. Um, and what about the celebration, man? The the corn eating, I love it. Like that was fantastic. Pretty unique. I've never seen that one before. So <laughs> no, no. It, it's weird, but I love it. So so yeah, man. It's a it's a dynamic offense. And, and um, yeah. Go ahead. Here's here's the thing too is that if you go back to to those first couple of trips uh, into the red zone, man, and and maybe first couple of drives of the first half, like Michigan could have complete control of this game. Uh, Hayes and Keegan had, had some struggles on the left side of the offensive line there early on. And uh, later on the, the offensive line was fine, but they, you know, they squandered some opportunities to where, look, like I, I view that obviously it, it was a negative in that context, but if they, like, there's a good chance if they get those opportunities, they don't squander those, you know, all the time. They're, they're, you're probably converting down there with this run game and this offensive line more often than you're not for touchdowns. And that's the thing. If there's one negative, it's that Michigan's kicking a lot of field goals right now. You know, you go back to Wisconsin and obviously the Nebraska game, maybe it's just kind of road jitters or whatever, but they're settling for a lot of field goals. Not going to be able to do that, obviously, against Penn State, Ohio State, and probably not Michigan State. So that's one thing, you know, I know, Stephen, you want to talk about things they probably need to clean up, get better at. I think that's one of them, converting uh, in the red zone when you've got some chances, for sure. That's tough, too, because as you get closer to the goal line, the the field just constricts. So yeah. your your playbook isn't as expansive. Safeties are just naturally going to be closer to the line scrimmage to play against the run. And I think Michigan needs to come up with more creative passing um, options out of that, whether it's a hard boot, harder play action, um, you know, more pick plays, things like that, because I think that shows that Michigan is lacking some, some sheer talent just on the outside. Who are you going to throw a fade to? I hate fades in general, but it's not like you have any, especially on two point conversions first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be on record. I agreed with that two point conversion. Not when it's a fade, not when it's a fade, never throw a fade on a two point conversion ever. Yeah. I I'll, I'll say for this team, I wouldn't throw a fade to, damn near anybody unless maybe if Ronnie Bell's back but that's not happening so like when you had Nico Collins maybe you know that works because he's just so big but no I'm not trusting anyone to to hit a fade here right yeah so so that's the thing where it's like you're gonna have to create a more creative option to to get guys open in this offense I would like to see them try to do um more like Eric all things kind of like Dalen Baldwin in the back of the end zone I think Eric all um could kind of serve a role, a larger receiving role um, mm. in the red zone as well. So it, it's something where, yeah, the the run game is just naturally going to be harder to lean on as the field constricts in the red zone. So it's, I, I think it's going to be a continued issue. Um, I yeah. think I think they need to have more specific plays specifically for the red zone. I don't know if they're going to implement that or, or hope it just kind of improves, but um, 
Yeah, I, I think that's one of the harder issues to solve for this team, just because that's usually a talent thing. And um, I don't know if they, I don't know if they got the horses to do that this year. Yeah, but- it, well, the, the last couple of weeks, the some of those linemen, you know, for Wisconsin and for Nebraska have been crossing the faces, uh, particularly of that left side and some of those tight ends. We saw it on the top play uh, against Wisconsin, you know, that these guys are letting them cross their face and blow up the plays a little bit. Obviously we, we saw it happen. Um, was it the third and four maybe down there when they settled for, for that first field goal? I, I can't really remember. It was, it was a great play. They tried to pass it off. I think uh, Keegan tried to pass off the Hayes or if it, it was vice versa and, and the, the D lineman was able to get through there. But uh, it, those are things though that we they can clean up too. So like I'm I'm kind of optimistic, but also in like your camp where it's like it's it's going to be really hard given that everyone knows what Michigan wants to do down there. But I think there are some things given the way this offensive line is kind of eight against some really good defensive fronts, right? Like those might be the two best defensive fronts you see this season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um Michigan State, I think, has pretty good front seven. Um interested to see their secondary. Um, I would actually like to see them explore using more JJ McCarthy specifically in yes. red zone yeah. scenarios. When you have a guy who can threaten the run, um, I would like to see them do like kind of like pop passes where they fake the run, do really hard um, option plays out of that and try to specifically get him involved in that regard. Provides a different look. You don't really have to expand all that much on the playbook and you can just prep mm-hmm. more for Gigi McCarthy in those scenarios. So I think that's an area where um, I know there was the radio show with Jim Harbaugh tonight. He was saying essentially that he he's getting JJ McCarthy more experience as a result of looking back on previous years where Michigan from injury had to throw in the backup quarterback and felt that they hadn't done a good job prepping them for that. So I think this is a good way Obviously, Michigan's continuing to do this. There are key times that Michigan is still inserting J.J. McCarthy week after week. Were you surprised to see him in that third down late in that game when Michigan ended up taking the lead? No, because because Jake Moody is like automatic from that left hash. And Michigan was like, we're just going to run a read. They've been showing a tendency to, um, to crash the ends here just keep it on this one. If we lose a couple right. of yards, our kickers automatically are yeah. fine. So I think that's, it, it makes sense. I think Michigan is now getting a little bit too predictable with JJ McCarthy and they have to switch things up. I think that specifically was a case where Michigan wanted to get on the left hash, keep the ball, no real read on that one. Right. And just live with whatever the outcome is. Just don't fumble obviously. But, um, but also shout out to Jake Moody because what a weapon! I mean, how about terms- how about Moody with the with the game on the line, just hitting the sniffing salt real quick before he's automatic he out for the game winner. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah. He's just he's so he's like so cool, calm, and collected. Like yep. in moments like that. Yep. And he, we're all he is the- what. I, let's be honest. He's what we thought Quinn Nordine was going to be. Right. Quinn Nordine was like a wild card man. He could hit a sixty-five yarder. Like with his eyes closed, and I wouldn't yeah. bat an eye. And but Moody's could... got a boot too. I didn't real. I didn't realize it. Like the... I think why the Washington game when he hit the fifty plus yard, I was like, wait, what? I like I was in my head. I had a prior about Jake Moody that he was just like automatic from forty and in, and he just someone even even tweeted me. He's got like some Michigan State records for for field goals in length, dude. He is, yeah. Holy what? There was a uh, video. I need to find it. It was. I think at the D zone, I think is the Twitter account. And they'd follow a lot of just like under the radar recruits in the state of Michigan overall. 
And they, they tweeted out a video. A teammate was holding the ball on the 50-yard line with his <laughs> nose, and Jake Moody kicked it and, like, nailed a field goal, like a 60-yard field goal, and that was in yeah. high school. So, like, dude has some range. Um, I think overall special teams is proving to be just a huge weapon because yep. um, punting game has been really solid. Um, I am now of the viewpoint that you should never return a kick because it's just so hard to even get to the 25 yard line, which is the speed of players yep. right now and how much distance you have to get now that the ball is on the 25 on a touchback, just fair catch it. I think that's a thing. So I'm not really taking that into account, but um, punt return is something I want to bring up because people were just clamoring early in the season when, Obviously, Ronnie Bell's out, and people put in or uh, Michigan put in Colasar as the punt returner, and people are losing their minds. Like we can't find anybody better. And then AJ Henning almost gives up a punt return. He muffs it, right? Fumbles yep. it, and that was the joint possession call, which is in the rule book. I looked it up, so that is an actual nice. thing in football. Hey, you were doing a little rule search in there Saturday night. I saw you were. I love to do it, man. I that. love looking up yeah. looking up stuff in the rule book. It's fun. Um, but um, but so that's the reason, right? Sure. I think AJ Henning flashes a ton, but if you can't secure the catch, I don't care what you can do after it. Like right. I don't care what your skills are after the catch, if you can't secure it. So that's why I like early in the season, I was like, he's gotta be like, Colesar has to be the most secure catcher here by a wide margin or else they wouldn't be putting him back there. So I think that's obviously the one area to clean up, but, um, but yeah, man, it, it's, I think special teams overall has been like just a really quiet aspect of this, this team that, you know, a team that I think is willing to win against any given team, like 21 to 14, I think Michigan can feel really, really safe with that sort of lead because of how well the uh, the special teams is playing. Is disconcerting signals up, the name of yeah, the Yeah, I want to bring this up from the M turf. Is disconcerting signals the name of the penalty? There is no way. And you know what's really fun about this? This was not the only disconcerting signals penalty of the day, by the way. There was for sure, I, I believe, another one in maybe the Bama AM game. I, I think there was disconcerting signals. And I saw someone talking about the penalty during the noon game. So I don't know if it happened or someone was just wondering, but there was a it was just we barely see it, but yes, you cannot mimic snap, count, clapping, anything like that. Anything that you're doing that's not a, a football sort of move is going to be called if you're trying to, to get the offense to false start. And th that one's really weird. In the actual rule book, so I don't think it specifically says disconcerting signals in that order. It actually says, and I quote here, no player shall use words or signals that disconcert opponents. So you can reorder those words and have disconcerting uh, signals. It probably is, I think, named specifically that. I just took a screenshot. I can't remember. But um, it does use those exact words. So this was this is a case where, like, it's really specific because it was such a loud environment that Michigan has to use, like, a clapping system right. yep. to, like, do certain aspects of the offense as part of the cadence. And it just happened that the defense, it's also really loud. And for Nebraska, one of the linebackers was clapping, trying to get his teammates' attention. So it's one of those where it's like, shit, what do we do? Like, <laughs> But they give, they give the offense that first right, correct? Yeah. It, the offense yeah. gets the first right. Well, it's, it's a thing where it's like you have to give the offense that right because otherwise the defense would be able to say like, Hey, they're using like snaps or they're using like 
helmet smacks or something. And the defense can just adopt that on the fly and use it as their communication to throw off the offense. Right. And that's not fair since the offense has to have some sort of cadence, then that gets precedence over what the defense can react to as a result of that. So that's, that's like the spirit of the rule, but I feel for Nebraska, like, yeah, Yeah. it's a penalty and it makes sense because it's a, it's a super loud environment and in a normal game, it probably like a normal environment, not super loud. It probably doesn't have the effect of getting called, but just because of how loud the crowd was, it's funny because you almost never see it, but that's just kind of the, uh, that's kind of the um, situation yeah. there. Lewis um, Blake with the Scott Frost deep cut here. We really got out <laughs> clapped in that game. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Emily Stout, kill for a Tosky rules breakdown vid. I've done so many, I've done vids in the past breaking down specific like full games of uh of officiating before. So I'm a huge I'm a like a big rules guy and I'm not I I'm like not it. not trying to go like completely off the cuff here but I think intentional grounding is a rule that needs to be enforced way more often. And I my least favorite play in football is when a screen successfully gets snuffed out from the defense and the quarterback just throws it a million miles an hour at the uh feet of that wide receiver. Bothers me to no end. I'll stop there. Just, but, it's obviously intentional grounding, but as long as there's a receiver in the area, they're not going to. I hate it, it overall. Much. I hate it overall. Mm-hmm. It gives way too much leeway. The rule, especially in the rule book, how it's laid out, gives way too much leeway for the offense to get away I, with free yards. I would, I would love to talk about this, Dunny Don. Uh, can we talk about the refs marking it short when we made the first down by at least two and a half yards? What happened there exactly? I am almost positive. At the side judge threw the flag for illegal formation, and he did not expect that it would get uh, picked up. So I'm guessing he got overruled by someone there, but he threw that flag, and he did not go spot the football because he did not think the play was going to count. I guarantee that is what happened in that situation. 100%. 100%. That's it. Yeah, they, they did not even see where that play ended up, and it's mind-boggling because they – like. What they should have done is just like, hey, what happened on that actual play? Like, okay, it's it's third and one, whatever happened. Like, did you see where the actual play ended up? Nope. Okay, we got to go review it. And instead, they're just like fourth and one. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> expecting Michigan just be like, okay, thanks for no penalty. We're going to punt now. It's like, what? And, and th- that's the kind of thing where like, yeah, it was corrected. But like that just happened throughout the game. Like it seemed it like every so bad, man. every questionable decision, every questionable call, they were just wrong on. And it, I mean, thank God for replay because otherwise this game would have been real weird, like real weird of a game in both ways. Like it would have, yeah. it would have been insane. So, um, I think it all evened out overall with the officiating. I'm just mad at the refs. Like I'm just mad that this is the product that we have to deal right. with overall, and it. It extends the games to like 20 hours instead of like what should be a crisp two and a half without all the breaks and whatnot. But oh, just wait, just wait two weeks, everyone. I don't know if you saw, but big noon kickoff, (laughs) Nebraska, Northwestern, and Michigan. That is going to be a sick. I mean, that that that's got a chance to hit five if Michigan runs it up. Oh man, that's got a chance to hit five hours. (laughs) I I can't. I don't have that many shirts to uh <laughs> to change it well, i don't think i don't think it'll be more than a two-shirt game i wouldn't expect you underestimate me sir yeah. <laughs>
Uh, we're not obviously we're not going to look ahead to that one since it's coming up in two weeks. We got the bye week. Wanted to keep it to Nebraska uh, here tonight, and then next week on Brewcast we'll look ahead uh, to Northwestern. But uh, yeah, that pretty much uh, going to wrap up our thoughts on Nebraska here. As uh, we appreciate everyone in the YouTube live comments, man, Th- this was a lot of fun. There wasn't a lot of arguing. Shea Patterson got brought up, and we kept to a minimum, so that was. Uh, that was definitely good news there. So, uh, Stephen, I'll let you uh, tell the folks what you got going on this week and where they can find you. Yeah, I think I'm going to start with defense analysis this week. I'm usually a, an offense first guy. I think the defense. Um, I, I don't know if I'll focus on on negatives because I think there was a, a lot of questions about what actually went wrong in the second half. Um, so I'll probably start with that. Um, you know, we got full two weeks here, so I'll, I'll probably get more analysis than I usually do in the uh, next couple of weeks here. So be sure to check out the uh, YouTube page for that and uh, hoping to get some plays out tomorrow, full vid tomorrow night. Hopefully we'll see. We'll see. Got some things coming up. Um, but yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Steven Toski. I tweet out individual plays before uh, the full video is found here on the YouTube channel. And um, you know, if, if you're interested, throw a subscription on the uh, channel so you don't miss any videos. And if you like it even more, become a member. There's a join button there on the uh, channel page and you can uh, get early access, um, become a super fan, get a nice little badge. Like I see a couple people here in the chat um, and I'll like you more. So that's a, <laughs> that's one <laughs> other thing. No, I'm just kidding. But but yeah, yeah, man, I think this, I'm, I'm excited for this week because it gives the staff some time to actually uh, to actually go out and recruit and it's uh you know you can't recruit much better than when you uh have a 6 and 0 record so i'm excited to watch kind of what happens in recruiting next couple of weeks as a result of this start yeah don't forget uh we see here big thanks to dom says drop some likes please do please do we uh, really appreciate it. appreciate you all hanging out with us every monday night 7 38 o'clock so you got to subscribe sometimes we got to go a little bit later here but uh uh, that, those are usually the start times for us. And don't forget, as Stephen mentioned, to subscribe. And if you're listening on the podcast and not with us live on Monday night, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And reminder, you can go back, listen, uh, wherever you get your podcasts on the go. We are everywhere. So you can find me on Twitter at Luke Giardi. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Enjoy the bye week. Enjoy the, the no-stress Saturday. And I uh, can't wait to talk with you next week. For Stephen Ostentoski, I'm Luke Giardi. We'll see you next week on Brewcast.